for me, I look at the business and where we've been and where we came from, and I look at other agencies and other businesses. All very similar, no? We've got desks, we've got computers, we've got staff, we've got processes, challenges, finances, everything that goes on. But I don't think you can run the business on those things alone. And for me, the culture is the glue that joins these things together. Hi, everybody. I'm Jonathan Richards, and this is the HR Heroes podcast brought to you by Breathe. In this series, we're celebrating and sharing the stories of small businesses who are doing a great job of managing their people and are, in my eyes, HR heroes. My guest today is David Lewis, the CEO of global communications agency, Lewis. Back in the summer, they were awarded the number one spot in our culture leaders list. David shares his thoughts with me on what company culture is and how he's worked hard to build and evolve a culture at Lewis during their 45 year lifespan. David, thanks for taking the time to, to come on the show. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And many congratulations on getting the top slot on the, the Breathe HR Culture Leaders list. I oh. think it's a, a real endorsement of the great work you're doing at Lewis. Well, thank you. And um, we are absolutely delighted, absolutely astounded and delighted too. So. so for the benefit of the listeners, could you just give us an introduction to yourself and give an overview of what Lewis does? Well, I'm David Lewis. I'm the CEO of Lewis Creative Consultants. We are based in Edinburgh and we are Scotland's oldest creative and marketing agency, being 45 years actually next week. So it's been a long time. Happy um, birthday. <laughs> thank you. Majority of our work is digital. We work for some of the biggest blue chip companies in the UK from Scottish Power, Santander, Royal London, a number of um, arts, as well as some big companies like Peel Ports, doing their marketing, building campaigns, looking after their branding, and really just you know, making sure they look great. And just give me an idea of the size of your company. How many employees do you have? We are currently 30, and we've increased that over the past year. So um, increase of business, increase of staff um, to cope. So good times, you know, challenging times as well in this industry, but we've got a great team here. Excellent. I want to um, drill down a little bit later on on recruitment because that's that's so often a thing that uh, that businesses struggle with. Just one more one more question about you or your business. Can you tell me something that would surprise our listeners about you? I've I've never had another job. <laughs> I was born into this company. My dad started the business as I say, 1973, and as soon as I could walk, I think I was working in the business. I went to university, studied design. And then joined the business basically as soon as I, I left school, in and out from university, helping out during the summer. I've never had a CV and I've never worked anywhere else. <laughs> amazing, amazing. What a, what a great claim. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I think that other people would say, well, maybe you should experience life, but I think I had enough life in here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Man and boy. Yeah, indeed. One of, the, uh, one of the places where I want to start or always start these, these chats during the judging process, we spent a lot of time discussing the language around company culture. And you can imagine that sometimes the conversation got very deep. But I'm really interested to hear what your take, what does company culture mean to you? It's a difficult thing to kind of nail down. And even very recently, I've been mean, talking to some people in the business about what culture is. I, I liken culture to the glue. It, it's the, the 
the item that holds everything together. For me, I look at the business and where we've been and where we came from, and I look at other agencies and other businesses, all very similar. No, we've got desks, we've got computers, we've got staff, we've got processes, challenges, finances, everything that goes on. But I don't think you can run the business on those things alone. And for me, the culture is the glue that joins these things together, holds them together. And it it probably actually holds things better together than being all sporadic and people working in silos. And I think that that's really where we see it as the, the culture is this woven kind of thread that pulls people together from different parts of the teams, pulls them together when there's good, there's bad, and it really knits them together. It's not like anything else. It's like an essence. It's like a, a kind of passion that they have. And you could have the best of processes, the best of computers, best of systems, best people. But I think without the culture, you're always going to be lacking something. You're always going to be missing some of the elements. So I think that's where I see it as. It's the glue that holds us together. Well, for me, it always means that we're always on the same page. You know, we're always together, focused on the same goals. I love that. I love the idea of the glue that holds it together. I've got this big belief that companies have a culture, whether they know it or not. Now, there's there's some companies that say, oh, we've never worked on culture. We we don't have one. That's not something that we focused on yet. And I I go into lots of organisations, and I always see that there is a culture there. It's not a culture that that they might want that they're deliberate about, but it but it's always there. And I think the idea of it's the glue that holds it together is is a really strong one. People will not recognise the culture in many places. They they all look at culture as what we call a clique. You know, a group of people who are you know, together or a process or a team who work together. And yes, they're working for the company as a whole, but I, I liken it when everybody's together, like a great rugby team, a great football team, you know, let's get Man City at the moment, you know, as a team that play together. And that doesn't just count the people on the pitch. You know, I liken us to a football club where you've got the physios, the sports scientists, the, the psychologists, the nutritionists, you know, they all play this part in this kind of team. And when we have businesses who work in the silos and little groups, they don't benefit from the greater good. They don't benefit from the engagement with other areas, their expertise, their skills. But also, you know, the thing that drives everything forward, the camaraderie between people, the, the passion and the, the laughter and the, and the likability of people. That's where the culture really starts to kind of warm and, and, and grow. Yeah, totally. And given that Lewis was established, I've got in my notes, 40 years, but you say 45 years. Yeah, in 1973. Wow, that, that's incredible. <laughs> Has the culture grown naturally or have you been deliberate in the way you've built it? I have to admit, no, that we've had many different cultures in here. Some of it been not great. Some of it been amazing. I think like a business, no, it, it just evolves. We be very much looked in probably 2013, we moved to a new office. It's got a great outlook. It's got great views, the purpose-built kind of studio. And at that point, we thought, actually, we need to be better. No, we can't be a good designer, a good technical guy, a good account manager working in silos. There was something missing. And because I've been in this business for 30 odd years now, it looked like I looked back and saw the silos of our work and the, the kind of cycles of our work of being really busy but not engaged or really light but really together. And I really wanted to make some kind of drive and a, a change to make sure that, A, we're building something that everybody saw the vision for, that everybody understood 
what we were trying to do, we didn't want to be a traditional agency where we were burning the midnight oil, treating staff like, get this job done, you work until it's completed, which is stereotypical agency style. Mm. We really wanted to be an agency that understood what it took to deliver. We've got an amazing system. We've got an amazing amount of accountability. We check numbers with KPIs, with all this detail. And with that detail, it was pointless hiding that behind you know, finance or production. Everybody got to see the detail. And at that point, the transparency came through. And we started working on that, started evolving that to make sure that we weren't just transparent on utilisation numbers or profitability in our job. We took it to the extreme and we show everybody every single number in the business. We show the profitability, show the turnover, show the, um, the overheads. Everybody gets to see this. And we, we kind of try to keep this going where everything's open to the, the team here. We've got no kind of hidden agendas. We've got no hidden information because we want them to build into this mission and this vision where we're going to. I also think that the expansion and the growth of um, the culture has came primarily by setting great values in our vision. And I know that we've set six values that um, we drive the business by. Without them, I think we'd be lost. It's really a case of understanding that everybody knows that these values drive the business, that they can ask themselves these questions and you know, they should give you the answers. We don't do it as a leadership team here, but we don't drive the answers. We get everybody to take accountability for their actions. And I think that's what helps. But those values are so important to us. Yeah, absolutely. Just and and I want to I want to get onto the values. But just before we go there, the idea of a fully transparent business. I love that idea. It must have taken a lot of courage to to step into that. Were there any issues with with starting to share numbers to people with people who might not be familiar with with looking at business numbers? Huge pitfalls. And as you know, we've had success and we've had failures and. No, I think these are so important to learn from. We failed greatly in our first couple of presentations of the numbers. When you put a number in the screen and it says, well, actually, no, look at that profit for this month. Everybody thinks that, well, all of a sudden they're going to get profit into their pocket or there's going to be you no know, cash to burn. There's an education there. And we failed. You know, people were going asking questions behind the scenes saying, well, we're doing all right. Why are we not getting any more bonuses or we're doing all right. Well, why are we not getting any more staff or are we not getting any more perks? And not maliciously, but there was a obviously a, a kind of a train of thought which went, we are doing well. No, maybe we should get more. But the team have done a great job. Um, we've got Barry, who's our finance director, and Nicola, who's our um, branch um, assistant. And they've done a huge job coming to people's desks, talking through numbers, talking through the monthly uh, management accounts with them, presenting to the team every month showing them weekly utilisation figures, chargeable rates, doing project retrospectives. And all these things were slow to burn, slow to drop feed in. You know, why are we doing this? Why are we looking at these numbers again and again? Why are we looking at our failures um, and trying to analyse them? Should we not yeah. just focus on the successes? And a balancing act of good and bad over the period, we've managed to give this transparency. And with that, I think the other thing that's been great is that the finance team have got kudos out of it. Normally, a finance team would be the guys who sit in the back office going, well, they just churn the numbers and work in calculators all day. They've shown yeah. themselves as a huge part of the team who can 
helped other people in the business. You know, they've implemented huge amounts of technology changes to our business, which have saved huge amounts of money, time and effort, and have also made the staff so much more agile. Well, things like Zero and Playo credit cards. We've got just about everybody in the business has got a, a credit card. The, the only rule was spend it like it's your own money. And so we were like, oh, geez, how, how should we do that? Should we really give them a credit card and just say, <laughs> you make the decisions on it? And you mean treat it, them like adults? Well, that's it, yes. No, it's, it's amazing how so many people think, well, I'm not giving them a credit card because they'll just spend money. Well, if they spend it, they may only spend it once and they'll go, okay, we've tracked that spend. Maybe you shouldn't have done that. And they'll learn from it. You know, in today's world, with everything's managed and measured and all the things flow into systems, it's not as if we're going to get hung out to dry. So You mentioned about the finance team usually being hidden in the, in the corner. We had a really interesting session. Every quarter we get together as a team, as a whole company, and we review the quarter against the forecast and against our goals. And it's a real, real sharing of information. And, and this time, it happened about a month ago, my uh, my head of finance got up and, and started talking about the sheer volume of of invoices that yeah. that they they process and I could see jaws were dropping. We all know we've got nearly 5,000 companies using Breed across the UK, but wow. people hadn't actually put that to, well, that means that finance are processing nearly 5,000 invoices every month. The way that Ali, who's our head of finance, was able to explain it, all of a sudden the penny dropped and, and you could sort of hear the silence in the room. So yeah, absolutely. Getting finance out the front. It, it's mm. you talk about glue. The finance really is the is is at the centre. It is, and I know we want more than you no. Know, as a business, we want more than just financial reward. We want a role that's enjoyable, that's challenging, that's you work with lovely people. But underneath all that, we need to have sound financials, and we often see that giving the team these financials of our business helps them also in their kind of personal lives. We've got an IFA who works with all the team here. So we brought somebody in, this is an expert, you can use them as you will, and the company will pay for certain amounts of that, just for some advice. We're trying to educate these guys. Some of them are you know, in their early 20s, maybe buying their first house. They can rely upon maybe finance or this IFA to give them some top tips, some advice, or just some nurturing of what they should be doing. So I think whilst we're a design agency, finance is a, has a great role to play. Absolutely. There was one thing you, you mentioned in, when you came, you're saying you came together as a team. Last year, about well, probably 18 months ago, we implemented a new operating system, basically a business system for the team called EOS, and it's the Entrepreneurial Operating System. It's probably taken a, a big chunk of time and a lot of heartache to implement but it has really helped us transform and get this transparency out to the rest of the team. So just to give you a kind of summary of what it does is... Yeah, please. We set a 10-year goal, a five-year goal, and a three-year goal, and that's set by the business. It starts with the leadership team, then by the rest of the team input into that. So a 10-year goal is a, referring to um, Jim Collins in Good to Great. It's our BHAG a big, hairy, audacious goal. And Love it. it's a bit out there, yeah? But that's our vision, and we've got a vision board. I've wrote a vision statement or a vivid vision um, document, which gives everything about where we want to be in 10 years. I've even got 
fitting into that, that it's about a man walking into an office and it's our in the office, how it smells, how it you know, looks, what he touches, what he sees. And this big vision is where we want to get to. But when we break this down through the US process, it comes down to setting quarterly targets, which are um, rocks. We do issue lists every week. We have a, a weekly meeting, which starts for the leadership team. It's 1.30 every Monday. The only excuse you can have for not going to the meeting is if you're dead, apparently. <laughs> so everybody dials in or they make time in their schedule and that's it. And we have a very rigid meeting. We challenge each other. We, we focus on the biggest issues that the business faces in those weekly meetings and see if we can eradicate them. Our quarterly rocks, as they're called, are the, the big challenges that each person in the business would love to um, eradicate in that quarter to take us forward towards our goal. And if you think, well, normally an individual may have between one to three rocks, normally two rocks, we'll have, give or take, between 60 and 90 big challenges completed every quarter. So Monday is our, the start of our new quarter. So at this point in time, we're, we're looking to have everybody complete their rocks. Some have completed them in a month. Some will take right up into the wire until Friday, but normally there'll be a between an 87 and a 90% completion rate in all rocks. And that this is what's greatly transformed us is that we know that these rocks are the biggest things in our business that need adjusted, sorted, eradicated, changed. So maybe processes or adjustment of a team or a new team setup. It could be computer equipment or you no know, processes or, or legislation or whatever. So Everything's looked at and, and it has really helped us. It set us a focus, a vision, and we really know what we're doing every quarter and every year. So Yeah, that's brilliant. Am I right in saying that to manage a system like that takes a lot of leadership time? It did to begin with. Where we started because we had to train everybody up. No, we have to learn the words. We have to understand the process and the leadership did it first. And what the great thing was because the leadership team failed at some things, we learned quickly. So how meetings were run or not run, how we were not achieving success in meetings or tackling points or issues or rocks. In our first rock session, people were you know, saying, oh, I'll take five or six big challenges. That'll be great. I'll do it. And at the end of the first quarter, people were like, that was a wrong decision. No, these were the wrong rocks. They weren't you know, aligned to our goals. So we failed a lot to begin with, but then we were able to educate the teams. So each team has a, a weekly meeting and they do exactly the same meeting style, same process. And it just creates a kind of uniformity. There's also the fact that everybody gets to raise their issues, raise their ideas, raise, raise their challenges from team level to leadership level. It did feel like we were treading through kind of mud to begin with, but now every Monday there's a kind of drive to say, I'm going into this meeting. Let's make sure it works for us. We rate our meetings as well. And if people rate it a, a six and not an eight or a nine, we then reassess that. Why is it been so bad or why is it been good? And it, it, it just gives structure, which is fantastic. So everybody in the team knows the structure and everybody can, can contribute to that. Yeah. 
So the the entrepreneurial operating system, the EOS, is that is that explained anywhere for the listeners? Can they go and read a book about it, or where's it come from? Yeah, there are a number of books. The gentleman who built the system is a gentleman called Gino Wickman, and he has and a. How's book, that spelled? Sorry. Gino G I N O, and then just Wickman. His book is called Traction, which is for the majority of leadership teams or senior uh, management teams. But what we did is we read the book first. We got acclimatized to the statements, the sayings, the words, and then we rolled out a book to the whole of the business. He's got a smaller book called What the Heck is EOS? Everybody in the team, everybody in the business read that book. So they understood what we were going and moving into. It's not as detailed as traction, but it gives a good setting for them to acclimatize. There's also a number of other books because people play slightly different roles. My role is a visionary. I come up with big ideas, probably too many harebrained ideas. That's my my kind of role. I come up with big ideas, look after culture, I sort out big problems, but that's it, really. I have a really close relationship with Barry, who is our, was a finance director, he's now a managing director. He's what we call a implementer. So as you can imagine, my harebrained schemes, my ideas, the kind of left field information that I, I throw at him every quarter, he distills this down, takes little snippets, it might be you know, a sentence, a paragraph, or even an idea, and then he thinks, will that help us? Will it take us forward? He then brings that to the other leadership team members, and then they distill that down and, and take it from what they can deliver. So I think in the past year, I've had maybe out of well, maybe 120 big ideas. I've probably had three that have actually made it into circulation and actually been um, implemented. So I know that you know, there's there's only little bits and pieces there, but it's great. I can vent all my ideas. I can run at 100 miles an hour, and I know that the team will then distill that down and sense check it and yeah. say, that, that, that's madness. That'll never happen. So probably means that you get the the satisfaction of seeing yes a handful of your ideas properly implemented and and come to fruition rather than 80 out of 120 ideas being partially done and and fizzling away yeah and the way that my brain works it is full of ideas as part of our business we um, see a, a life coach and the life coach said to me please slow down Stop reading, stop listening to podcasts, <laughs> stop driving around in your car, listen to all these things, just take stock for a little bit. And I think that that's been great advice because I have um, stepped back <laughs> from all that information a little bit. But yeah. that's the way my brain works. I love ideas, I love visions, I love taking things forward. But I know that my role isn't probably great at implementing them. So I know that the team, you know, Barry as an um, implementer, will take that and say, some of that's good, some of it's not so good, and you'll take it and make it viable for the business, or as we say, commercially savvy for the business. Company culture isn't a fluffy nice to have. Did you know that a third of Brits have quit their job due to poor company culture? If you're serious about culture, why not take a look at our culture economy report by visiting breathehr.com forward slash culture. This is brilliant stuff, David. I love it. I love it. You touched on the values of the business. 
In fact, the very first paragraph of the entry that you put in originally for the, the culture leaders list, and I just wanted to explore that. The first few sentences were just a really good way of catching the eye of, of the judges. And I'll just read it for a second. It's first things first, welcome to joy. Joy is the essence of Lewis. It's not a joke. It's not gaff. It's not a gimmick. It's about us creating something beautiful, making something better and involving others. It's the essence of our brand and the representation of our heart, soul and spirit in one word. And that as an opening opening sentence to a, I mean, it's near perfect completion of, a, of an application for anything. It's so well presented. It just said to me, these guys, it really is. It's not just an application. It's not just words put together. It's, it's what's believed. But then just taking that to the values, joy is or bringing joy is your sixth value. And there's five very strong values above that. I'd just love to explore how you put together the values, how they came about in the first place. We knew that we had to change our culture. Culture needed something to hang off. And especially in our industry, buzzwords are everywhere. No, we are a digital market agency, we're an innovative agency. And things change so quickly that we've suffered from this before. No, we've probably changed the name of the business, I think, 10, 12 times. And it's just sometimes vanity to try and keep up. We understood that we needed something more, something more meaningful that would always be there or, or always kind of hold us together. And when we started exploring this, our client service director came up with joy being our ultimate value. Everybody around the table kind of looked at each other and said, well, it's, it's not quite like, you know, Nike's one or Nike's with let's smash Adidas or you know, some kind of really kind of um, strong, aggressive business thing. And we thought, joy? Really? But then we started living it and we started understanding it, you know, bouncing the idea around. I think it really came to heart when we thought we don't want to just have a business which treats people like a, a number that they go through life working for us going, well, I'll just put another shift in. I don't want to walk into the office. It's Monday morning. I wish I was staying in my bed. We wanted everybody to come through that door and go, I love this. Yes, there's challenges. Yes, there's difficult times, but there's great times as well. And I have a part to play in making it joyful. There's a warmth in the joy. There's a, a kind of real... But I, I wrote up a, a document and presented it to the team and... I get it every time. It's this kind of warmth inside me, this kind of warmth that knowing that I can control things, I can change things, I can have my say, I can challenge a designer or I, could, I can challenge a client because we've got this joy and underneath it means that if we don't have joy, what are we doing this for? I, I reflect back on the times that we've been before, say five, ten years ago, and I remember one of the directors at the time sitting with me we just finished a, a year, um, our financial year, and we're looking at the accounts and we're like, whew, that was a tough year. No, we'd probably held our own with turnover, we'd made a small profit, we'd got some nice clients, we'd lost some clients, and we looked at each other and said, that was tough. No, what, what else did we get out of it? You know, where was the real joy? Where was the, the kind of passion and the, the excitement? We are very fortunate to be in an industry where we get to pitch vision and creative ideas and make people look amazing, look, make them look great. And so we decided at that point that we really needed to work on having more enjoyment in our business. 
know, not just slogging away day in, day out. And sometimes, yes, at the end of the year, you get a, a nice set of accounts, which looks profitable and you know, great, but there's more to life than that. Well, certainly for us, there is. You know, we believe that if we continue with our vision and our values, that the financial benefits will come anyway. Yes, we've got, as I said before, the finance team who are red hot, they're on it all the time. We've got a great team, but we know that if we treat people right, if they want to work in a great environment, then they will put all the effort in. They'll put the added extra in without pushing them to breaking point. They'll have passion and, and they'll inspire others. And I think that's where joy comes from is come in, bring joy to others, bring joy to our clients and be happy. <laughs> I think that's what it means. So. Brilliant. Of the, the, the six the six values, the five yeah. plus joy, one of them caught my eye, which was embracing change. Mm. And the way that it was described is it's, change is what makes us creative and inspirational. It gives us confidence and stature. And I think there's a really interesting one in that for so many organizations, change brings fear and doubt. Uh, not confidence and stature. And it, it, you know, that's come out in this conversation three or four times now. You've mentioned the word failure, but it's failure in a way that the, the way you've mentioned it is almost a badge of honor. We had it's the courage to try. Yeah, we had the courage to try. And I think that's a great place to be where it's not an expectation to fail, but where failing is in its own way a success. I would recommend that if anybody's going to read a single book, it should be Black Box Thinking by Matthew Seed. Awesome um, book. If, if, you know, if nothing else, you know, take some learning from that. I've, I know he's got a new book out, which I've got from my daughter as well, about you know, failure. And once you embrace failure as a stepping stone to going forward, you know, I think your attitude changes drastically. I think that this is the whole way that we love in the business working at the moment with the EOS process is about accountability. And some people struggle with accountability to begin with because they say, they think it's going to be a finger pointing exercise that if I do something and I'm accountable for it, if it goes wrong, the finger of blame will be pointed at me. Whereas accountability is making decisions based on information and taking accountability for your actions and saying, happy to be vulnerable and saying, I failed at that, but this is what we've learned. We've spent a lot of time as a leadership team pushing each other to be more challenging, pushing each other to be more vulnerable and pushing each other to fail more. And it sounds the opposite of what a business should do. You know? And to begin with, we were like, why, why are we trying to be more vulnerable? Surely we should be hard, aggressive, you know, strong people. But when we see the vulnerability, we can, we can be more open with each other. We can have sensible, challenging conversations about actions and the accountability of those actions. It has opened a, a huge kind of wide space for us. It's, it's, it's been great for us because yeah. people know that they're not going to be sitting in a room where somebody's got to shout at them saying, you failed. They've got to say, what did we learn from that? And because we're checking in every time, every week, every quarter, there's no room for these things to fall through the cracks. They're always up front and centre and we understand and I think it's easy for us to say that we've got to embrace change because we've been around for 45 years. We are currently in a, a bit of a kind of pivot where we're trying to look at changing the dynamics of the agency just because the industry is, is moving in a different direction. But making sure that you do change is, is, is vital. Yeah. 
being able to evolve and adjust. You mentioned the book, Black Box Thinking. There's one piece that's really stuck with me from that book, which was the question of uh, embracing the opposite or or looking, taking the opposite view of, of a situation where he uses the example of how many swans do you need to, to see to know that every swan is white? Whereas <laughs> if you take the reverse, how many black swans do you need to see to know that every swan isn't white? Mm. And sometimes flip it on its head and look at the look at the thing that went wrong or take the counter argument. Sometimes some clarity comes. So a sense though that the jobs we do, whether they are huge big websites for big you know, organizations or it's a small maintenance job for a site. We try and analyze as many of them as possible, talk to the team about it. Because we track and do KPIs and everything, we can go back to a team member and say, you may have had set aside six hours for this. It turned out to be 12. In our system, we've got little flags that hit and say 80% complete, 90% complete. And we communicate and we converse with these people to say, what's happening? How are things going? And we would rather they said, I'm struggling with this. And then we would know the next time that is more than like a 14 or 20 hour job instead of a six hour job. Or we actually understand maybe we need to upskill an individual or a team. Bearing their head in the sand when the, the horse is bolted and said, oh, well, that was a terrible job because we, we spent 14 hours in a six hour job. Oh, that's terrible. We'll have to recoup in the next job. That, that doesn't work. You're only ever as a vicious sucker. You're only ever chasing your tail. Maybe that information gives us a different pivot. Actually, we found that we could do that differently. And then we might set up a sub-team or we might do a little hack day on that topic or that theme and say, how can we combat this? Or how can we go in a different direction from this? I think that's what, what's great about it, learning all the time. There's one very specific thing that, that I wanted to, to look at. Uh, you have a... I think it's a monthly magazine called Port Life. Yes. How uh, you, you kindly sent us uh, access to a copy of that. It's an online magazine. Can you explain that? Because I think that's it's a tool that you clearly put a lot of investment into, a lot of time and a lot of heart into. Can you just sort of explain a little bit about where that came from and what it is? It was a personal challenge of mine at the start of the year. We had been communicating with the staff and the teams individually. So somebody would generate a bit of content, paint round by email or put it into Slack or into Teams or into another or our wiki. And people weren't finding information. They weren't communicating if it was good or bad. And there was a certain amount of resistance to continue doing it because we were saying, oh, write an article on or SEO or write an article on utilities clients. And somebody would do it, and then it would disappear into one of the many systems there. And so what I decided to do is I wanted to make sure I could get everybody in one fell swoop, show them something. I also wanted to prove a point to myself that I'm not great at writing. I know that, but I thought if I'm not great at writing, but I can get some content out there, I can also put myself in front of a camera because we did some video, personal video, and we did video interviews. So I had to be an interviewer. I did write questions. I also had to stand in front of a camera and pitch the platform to the team, which is all putting me in challenging positions. Yeah. Um, and I think that that was the start of it. I wanted to see if I could do it. The first one was horrific. It was terrible. As a designer, I can't believe I've actually got that out. It was terrible. It was white. There was a couple of pictures. It looked like something you'd get out of a, a PowerPoint presentation 
template. It, it was pretty poor. But like we talked about, the failures and the learnings, I was able to track how many people opened it. And so I think the first one out of 30 people, like maybe six people opened it. And I could have went, oh, I'll just throw the towel in now and not do it. Next week, I was scrambling around trying to get some content, asking people, could you give me, you know, the what's new, what's happening in the business, what tools you're working on? Some people did, some people didn't. And I was like, oh, Christ. so I'm going to have to build my own content here. And I, I just started building it out. And it got easier and easier. I eventually got it down to probably building the whole thing took me about an afternoon. But that was because I had all the templates built from previous versions. So I knew that how the video, I could just swap out a video in seconds, whack it on YouTube, link it to that, done. I could do an article. That was the most challenging thing, was writing the articles for me, you know, trying to be quite vulnerable, quite open, quite interesting. And I had nothing but great feedback from the team in it. And I think they became more open. We had nominations in it. We've got a contact form. We've got a suggestion box. We do some great things like one-to-ones. So we'll pitch two people from different teams. And I would set them questions like, is it chick flick or action movie? And they would come back with like chick flick or whatever, or be Chinese food or Indian food, or it would be you know, gastro pub or, or spit and sawdust pub. No, things like that. And we'd ask them questions about you know, what they've done in the past as well. And then the winner would nominate the place that they would take the other person for lunch. It would be two people who may not work together you know, on a daily basis, and then we'd try and get them together. So they would go out for lunch at a local bistro or something like that, communicate with each other, you know, understand what they do, you know, find out about their families. And that was great. You know, People were coming back in, being closer to their team members and understanding more than just, oh, they do design or they are a developer or whatever. So the port life really did kind of evolve into this I had to scale it back because it became a bit of a beast at one point and I was trying to get too much into it and we found a happy balance. I did, we called it the hot seat and I would interview one of the leadership team every week, ask them the same questions and one of them went on for about 54 minutes and one of the team said to me, I really like it, but no, 54 minutes is just too much. And at that point <laughs> I thought, yeah, you're right. You know, So I needed to scale things back a little bit and we got that down to about 15 minutes. But I, I, I love it. No, it's great. We got great feedback from it. And it's maybe a place where we can continue to have a touch point with the staff, you know, talk to them about things they're feeling, what we're seeing, what other people are doing in the business, their training, their events or whatever, and just continually feed them into this so that they don't maybe come to some of the meetings or the end of month meetings or whatever, but they never miss out. And I think that's what we want. If any of the listeners wanted to get going and get started with that kind of thing, is there a particular, very practical question, but is there a particular piece of software that you use for it? Or do you put that yeah. together internally as a design team? The reason I took it on board was because I wanted to prove to myself and maybe people in the business that we could do this without taking too much time. There's a great platform called ReadyMag. And if anybody just searches that up, yeah, there's a free account. I think you can build a 10-page document. But the great thing is a page can be five foot long. It can be you know, a full you know, 2,000-word article. And there's templates there. There's styles already built if you wish them. And so it's, it's really, you no, know, it's an idiot's, idiot proof. And I proved that, I think. So, um, <laughs> yeah. 
So it's great. And you, all we did was I would publish it. You can publish it to the general public or just private. We would do a private publish, take the URL, ping it in an email to everybody. And um, every Friday they would get that in the morning and nice. they would eat that, well, eat their bacon roll, have a coffee and sit back and read that every week. So. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so that's, I've just Googled that. That's readymag.com yeah. for anybody who wants to have a go with that. Lo, this is fascinating. And I'm well aware I'm taking up a, a lot of your time. Just a, a couple more questions. It's great for business owners to get together and to get to know other business owners. Now, there's the, the old somewhat cliche saying of it's lonely at the top. But I think it's a great thing to to get ideas from other people and to to understand what makes other people tick is there any recommendations that you can give to to help business leaders that are maybe struggling under the weight of, of everything obviously the eos system's done a lot for you but are there any other recommendations you can give for for a business leader that just needs needs a bit of space needs a bit of a breather do you think that it's one of the toughest things in a ceo or md or even the management team's life is having this ability to talk to somebody. I know I'm very fortunate. I've got an amazing partner who's always there. She's always listening to me and I've probably drawn on too much, but we also need somebody that we can bounce ideas off of, be vulnerable and talk to. I I failed terribly in the past. I was very much a, a lone wolf. I would go, I would take everything on my own. I'd be putting myself under pressure. I'd have thought that I had all the answers and that was a, a massive learning for me. I'm currently talking to a guy out in Los Angeles who's got an amazing business. I listened to a podcast, emailed and I said, I was blown away by your podcast. And he said, great, let's get on a call. We had a first call was maybe an hour and I've probably done about 10 since then. And it's, it's nothing more than I talked to him. He goes, well, I used to be like this or... I've seen that before, or you know, it's just bouncing ideas of somebody. And I'm very lucky he doesn't judge me. You know, it's not a case of you should be doing this or do that. It's also, as I mentioned, we're fortunate here that we've implemented a life coach, and it's great just to step away from the business and go and talk to um, this lady every week. And when we were implementing it, she had asked, "Should it only be about business?" We said, "No." It should be about everything. It should be about personal life. It should be about your emotions. It should be about you know, how you feel at work, about you know, your responsibilities. We want everybody to be able to have that openness with somebody. And, and I, I know that I talk too much and she just nods and asks me one or two questions, but it's a great you know, release for me. And I would recommend that to anybody. They're, and these people are out there. They're everywhere. So I'm sure you'll find some. Yeah, awesome. And sounds like we're fellow podcast junkies. What was the, <laughs> the name of the podcast that, that blew you away? There's a number. I'm, I'm listening to a lot by Founder Magazine and Self Made Man. It's Founder it, Magazine, that's Nathan Chan, isn't it? Yeah, that's Nathan Chan, yeah. Um, and the gentleman I'm, I'm talking to is a guy called George Bryan, and he ran an amazing business, Paleo Caveman. He did a kind of chef big program out in the States. It's basically online marketing and the mindset they have and some of his colleagues have are just unbelievable. I don't know, it blows me away. Just to try and sort of wrap things up, a couple of questions uh, about, maybe a little bit about you. Where do you have your best ideas? Because you say you're an ideas guy. Where, where do they come to you? In the car. I have a an hour's commute in and out. 
And people have said to me before, oh, I don't know how you can do that. It's the best time I have. I leave work. I may have lots of things in my mind. I have an hour maybe sitting in traffic or on the motorway where I consolidate. Uh, I kind of sort out all the things that are going on in my head. I, I answer the questions that are running about in my mind. I start piecing things together. So an hour in the morning, an hour at night really helps me. So it's probably there. Or the usual thing, at the gym. I, I go to the gym every morning if when I can. I'm not trying to be anything, let's try to be a superman. It's just a little bit of a, I think that if I tick that box in the morning, I've done a bit of health, I eat fairly well and I, I kind of go, right, okay, I'm looking after myself. And I do have to say that being slightly healthier really helps in my business. You no, know, I don't suffer from my illness all that much. I, I feel a bit uh, you know, energized. I feel confident. Maybe that's only a 15-minute run or it might be a PT session or it might be a spin class or whatever. I think I would definitely you know, advise that as well. There's something there. Brilliant. And what's what's one thing that you couldn't do without? So is there is there a thing, doesn't have to be expensive, but one thing that, I don't know, if you were on a desert island, you just want to have there with you? It can't be my my partner and my my kids. <laughs> <laughs> that that sounds like no, a really nice no um, desert island if I've got all them there. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, it doesn't sound very deserted, does it? I am not a materialistic person as such, um, and I appreciate all things. Maybe nothing particularly comes to mind. I mean, for me. Mm. I'm a I'm a real sort of adventure outdoor junkie, so mine would be my hiking boots. Oh, I might course, end up right. just walking round and round in circles on the desert island, but but I'd be doing it in a very comfortable pair of boots, a very much loved pair of boots. I'm a, quite a creature of habit, so everybody will know me. Everybody, if somebody was to describe me, they would say David's always wears black shoes with red laces, and I've had about eight pairs of the same shoes, <laughs> and I'm like that. I'll buy. Three shirts all the same. If I like it, uh, my partner goes crazy because I'll probably buy a pair of jeans at least one or two a month, and they're always the same kind and they're always the same style, and that's me. So once I get into that, I'm a pretty easy tick box white shirt, black jeans. <laughs> get on with the important things in life and and leave yeah. the shopping. <laughs> yeah, very good. Look, David, this has been fantastic. Loads of really, really good things there, and I'm sure we could pleasure. go on talking for yeah. for the rest of the day. And I'd love to have the opportunity to to come up and see you at some point up in, in Edinburgh. Yeah. And as you said, no, we are blown away by no being number one. We were blown away even reaching the list. And I know that some of the things that we do aren't all that groundbreaking. Some of them might be teetering on the edge of that. If it, no, I'd like to make sure that everybody you know, has access to the things that we do because some of them don't cost a penny. You know, some of them are easy fixes and I'd, I'd love to share that with everybody. Maybe we should schedule a round two and we can, we can take this conversation even deeper. That'd but in, in the meantime, how can people connect with you? How can they reach out to you? Probably the best place is LinkedIn. I'm on there all the time, probably too much. Or just email me at dave at lewis.co.uk and I will try you know it's one thing I'm trying to do is make sure that I respond to as many people as possible show some appreciation for them taking the time to contact me so I'll try and 
do my best to answer them, or if not, I'll point them in the, the direction of some things that I, I think are beneficial. Superb. Brilliant. Okay, well, thanks again. It's been, been great talking to you. Oh, thank you very much for your time. It's been great. Thanks again to David for sharing his insights into what it takes to build an award-winning culture. That brings our first series of HR Heroes to an end. So I'd like to take the opportunity to thank all of the business owners that have taken the time to speak to me and share their thoughts on company culture. Together, I think we've really clarified what company culture means to small businesses and how integral it is to their success. We'll be releasing a new series in the new year, so if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to get them as soon as they become available. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might listen. And if you've enjoyed listening to this episode, please leave us a review as we'd love to know what you think. You can also find out more about Breathe and what we do by visiting breathehr.com. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the new year.